The contents of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's financial objectives, financial situation or needs. Listeners should obtain independent advice before making any financial decisions. Hi, welcome to another edition of HealthKick. I'm Tim Boreham. Well, today we're looking at an ASX-listed drug developer called Bionomics, uh, which goes under the ASX code BNO, which is working towards better treatments for common disorders of the central nervous system. Uh, In essence, we're talking about anxiety and post-traumatic stress disorder, or PTSD. While there would seem to be a raft of medications out there, such as Valium or Diazepam, They're all from the same narrow drug class, and they actually don't work that well. And of course, there are also big addiction issues. There's actually been surprisingly little innovation in the field, and PTSD remains especially hard to treat. Now, after an earlier clinical setback, Bionomics is making progress with its lead drug candidate to treat PTSD and social anxiety disorder, which goes by the acronym of SAD. I've got Bionomics Executive Chairman, Dr. Errol D'Souza, with me to tell me more. Um, Errol, you're a uh, 35-year industry veteran, so you, you've been around the, the uh, box a few times. Um, uh, what, what's your background? Can you uh, give us a potted summary? You know, Tim, I've, uh, as they say, been around the block. I've had the pleasure of being in academia and the pharmaceutical industry for, as you've said, about 35 years. I started my career in research at uh, Johns Hopkins University in in Baltimore and at the National Institutes on, on Drug Abuse, and then transitioned to the pharmaceutical industry in the early 90s, where I was head of res- uh, CNS diseases for DuPont Merck. And then had the pleasure of starting a company called Neurocrine Biosciences, which uh, has about a $10 billion market cap today and actually markets drugs for CNS diseases. From there, I went to Big Pharma, where I was head of R&D. And then I've been back to biotech, where I have headed up several biotech companies at various levels and have had... Uh, raised a lot of money in the biotech field, uh, made a lot of money for investors by selling companies. Uh, and my love is is really to turn around companies. And as you alluded to in your introduction, we had a little bit of a setback uh, about three years ago uh, with an earlier formulation with our lead product. And the board asked me to take over uh, in terms of the turnaround of bionomics, and we're at an exciting time that I look forward to describing in terms of the future of the company. So you'd been uh, you'd been non-executive chairman, hadn't you? And and so, so so now now these days you're executive chairman. In other words, you uh, run the show. You, you've been at the company uh, for almost two decades. Um, I, I, I guess the company sort of changed its spots a bit uh, along the way. Yeah, I. You know, I was first recruited to chair the scientific advisory board back around 2002 or three, and then asked to join the board of directors 
around 2008. Uh, and then around 2015 or 16, I was asked to chair the board of directors uh, where we had, you know, a big change to the board. And then, as I mentioned, in 18, I took over as executive chairman, effectively running the, the, the company uh, in terms of moving forward. So I've seen uh, the company at various stages of uh, development. And uh, but as as uh, discussed more recently, I've been actively engaged in running the company, uh, and to a great extent, the turnaround of the company has been the development of a new formulation, uh, which is driving value for us in two different clinical indications for our lead asset, BNC two ten. Okay, and uh, in terms of the uh, mechanism of action. Um, it sounds like that that stayed the same. So, so it's a different formulation, but uh, the uh, the mechanism of action, uh, how the drug works, is it, it targets uh, ion channel modulators, ion as in ion, not iron. So, um, could, could you just sort of briefly explain how how that works and and how it differs to uh, existing treatment? Sure. So, you know, the strength of ionomics is really we target ion channels, which are a big class of drugs for treatment of both psychiatric and neurological disorders, target ion channels. But the way Bionomics does it is through what we call allosteric modulation. Uh, That is that we turn up the gain in disorders where you have overactivity or turn down the gain or rheostat, if I may use that term, for disorders where you have, you know, uh, activity that is that is overregulated, um, and our lead program BNC two ten is what we refer to as a negative allosteric modulator of the alpha seven nicotinic acetylcholine receptor. So when you're dealing with mood disorders, you have overactivity of the acetylcholine system in brain areas like the amygdala, which are the emotional center of the brain. And in doing that, you have symptoms like anxiety, depression, and many stress-like symptoms that contribute to disorders like post-traumatic stress disorder. And BNC210 decreases this overactivity and in doing that restores mood. So that's the hypothesis. in, in the earlier iteration of BNC210, the previous management had taken a liquid suspension formulation because they had problems developing just a standard tablet formulation. And that liquid suspension formulation had the requirement that it needed to be taken with food to optimize the absorption. Now, that formulation actually worked extremely well in the in-clinic setting where you could control giving the drug to the patients and giving, obviously, the food. Uh, And we showed some beautiful data where we reduced anxiety in two different paradigms. In a panic setting, we reduced, uh, you know, the intensity of the panic and the total panic symptoms. In generalized anxiety disorder patients, we had, 
you know, two different endpoints that we looked at, an imaging endpoint and a behavioral endpoint, and both of them showed dramatic reductions in anxiety. And the beauty of the clinical trial was that we went head-to-head, which is the standard of care, which are the benzodiazepines, the Valium class of drugs that you reference in your introduction. And in our case, we used the lorazepam. And we actually outperformed the, uh, you know, lorazepam. So we have the anxiety-lowering potential of the Valium class of drugs. But the real benefit of BNC210 is that we don't have the liabilities of the Valium class of drugs, which is sedation, the addictive liabilities. And in, in, in the U.S. now, the Valium class of drugs has a black box label. And so doctors don't even want to prescribe this, this group of drugs. We don't have memory impairment. We don't have motor impairment. So think about BNC210 as having the best in terms of reducing anxiety in the acute setting without the liabilities of the standard of care with the Valium class of drugs, uh, no sedation, no addictive liabilities, no motor impairment, or no memory impairment. No, that would be um, terrific to, uh, to, to achieve that. And so, so, of course, you, um, you mentioned the hypothesis. Uh, it's, all, it's all got to be proven, of course. And so you're kind of at the pointy end or, or, or the midpoint with, with two trials for PTSD and um, SAD. Uh, I think they're called Attune and Prevail. They're phase two trials. Uh, so, so where are they at, at exactly? Uh, from your company material, uh, there are three, 350 patients uh, uh, enrolled in all, and it's been carried out in the US. Yes, let me walk you through the two trials that are ongoing. So we developed a new formulation, uh, which is a tablet formulation that does not have a requirement to be given with food which has major advantages, not only in terms of its absorption profile of not having to be given with food, but also much more rapid absorption than the previous liquid formulation, which makes it ideal for an indication like social anxiety disorder, in particular in the acute setting for an on-demand treatment. And so that's the subject of our trial, which we call the PREVAIL trial, which is a 150-patient trial uh, for treatment of social anxiety disorder, which is being conducted across 15 centers across the U.S. And the trial has three groups. It has a placebo group, uh, and it has two different doses of BNC210. Uh, one of the doses we've shown in a previous trial uh, of having some very good efficacy in lowering anxiety. And then, as is typical of the phase two trial, we're exploring the full dose range. So that trial started at the beginning of 2022, and we anticipate completing the trial by year end. So that's a really a short-term milestone uh, and uh, in terms of moving forward. Okay. And when, and when would you expect a readout for these trials? The, the readout would be probably end of the year or very early in 2023 based on our, our recruitment that we have currently. So uh, literally we're talking about over the next two quarters, we should be able to read out the trial. Right. Okay. 
and the next trial is for a chronic indication like post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, and that trial is a 200-patient trial. It's a treatment for three months versus the social anxiety trial is just one uh, acute treatment. So it's a three-month treatment, uh, 200 patients. It's a fairly straightforward design with placebo versus drug, which is given twice daily. Uh, and we're looking at endpoints, which is uh, it's referred to as the CAPS-5, which is the clinician-administered PTSD scale, which is what the FDA requires to approve a drug. That trial started uh, about a year ago. Uh, and will read out in the middle of uh, 2023. Given the chronic nature of the treatment and the larger number of patients in the trial, it obviously takes longer than an acute trial like social anxiety disorder. So we're excited in having two trials uh, for the trial with our new formulation and look forward to reporting the data in the months to, uh, to come. Mm, mm. Now, now, PTSD, it is surprisingly common, isn't it, particularly in the uh, US, um, where I, I think there are sort of military associations with uh, ex, ex-servicemen. I'm uh, quite surprised uh, about the prevalence of it in the adult population. Yeah, no, PTSD has a very, you know, uh, when you look at a social anxiety disorder and and PTSD, you know, you're talking about tens of millions of patients, over 20 million patients in the U.S. alone, and very high unmet medical need. You know, for PTSD, the only approved drugs are the old-fashioned antidepressants. There hasn't been a new drug approved for PTSD in over two decades. And the antidepressants that are approved really don't work that well. And so the FDA and most regulatory agencies, I think, agree on the large unmet medical need. Now, let me speak a little bit to the population uh, that suffers from post-traumatic stress disorder. Now, quite often, as you mentioned, people think of PTSD as an association with veterans, but that's really a very small percentage of the population. Uh, In fact, if you look at the gender ballots, PTSD is more common in females than in males. And and the incidence of the trauma, uh, to a great extent, comes from uh, sexual trauma, maybe in early childhood or or adolescence. Uh, I'll give you another tidbit. Uh, There was a paper that was published last year where people that were hospitalized from COVID, almost 30% of them suffered from PTSD. So I think when we're thinking about PTSD, while uh, it's often associated with veterans, uh, the largest percentage of the population is the non-veteran population, with females being uh, higher than males. uh, and, And living in the pandemic world, that has even increased the incidence of PTSD. No, no, that, that's really interesting. Yeah, I, I certainly learned uh, learned something there. I, I didn't realise it was more 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 prevalent in females, but uh, it it certainly uh, it certainly makes sense. And, and it sounds like the uh, the pandemic might uh, unfortunately produce a new crop of um, uh, sufferers. 
That's for sure. Yeah. No, I think the pandemic has taken a toll, not just on PTSD, but just a whole host of uh, mental health disorders, including social anxiety disorder, where, uh, you know, now that the pandemic is under control with the vaccines, many of the patients uh, suffering from social anxiety disorder, where they're okay in the comfort of their homes, now have to face getting back to work, uh, and where the triggers for social anxiety disorder, uh, like uh, social interaction or public speaking or just coping with the workday, uh, you know, are are being brought back into their normal uh, daily lives is an added stress that they have to cope with. So mental health disorders, I think, are a long-lasting consequence of the pandemic that we have to deal with. And Bionomics, I think, is well-positioned to to leverage that in, in our current trials. Yes, we've uh, forgotten how to uh, socialise uh, from the sounds of things. Just, uh, just maybe uh, sort of turning to the company's uh, finances, you've got... Thirty-three million in the cash um, at, at last count, at least. You uh, your cash burn last year, if I'm not mistaken, was twenty-two million. So how does that sort of position you uh, in terms of uh, ongoing funding? Yeah, no, I think that's a, a great question. So the monies that we raised last year, along with you know one of the things I failed to mention is we were one of the few companies that did an IPO in December of last year and are now also listed on NASDAQ in addition to the Australian Stock Exchange. So we raised money through uh, our share rights last year as well as the IPO. So the combined funding will allow us to, uh, you know, turn up several very important cards for our shareholders. So the funding takes us comfortably to the end of 2023. So what does that mean in real terms? We can turn up the card with regard to the social anxiety disorder trial, which will be towards the end of this year or very early next year. Uh, The PTSD top line data, the middle of 2023. We're making some investments to get phase three ready uh, in some non-clinical studies. The other thing, Tim, that I've got to mention is Bionomics uh, goes well beyond BNC210 because we've got a very active collaboration with Merck in the U.S. for the treatment of uh, cognitive dysfunction in Alzheimer's disease. And uh, that collaboration has resulted in two candidates that Merck is currently developing for Alzheimer's disease. Uh, and when I say that our cash takes us to the end of 2023, I'm not including even any milestones that may come from that collaboration, which are very significant. Yes, and Merck pays for all of that, don't they? And and Merck pays for all of that. And and that could further represent an upside, which could extend our cash runway even further, uh, not just from extending the cash runway, but the obvious upside in terms of the value that a company like Merck could bring in some very large indications like Alzheimer's disease in terms of development. Uh, a lot of money is being spent on Alzheimer's, but once again, not much is coming out uh, of the pipeline. Exactly. You know, and, and so our business strategy that we've developed is for areas like Alzheimer's, which require truly hundreds of millions of dollars 
uh, and clinical development in thousands of patients, I'd rather someone like a Merck with the financial and human resources that they have do the heavy lifting versus for disorders like uh, social anxiety disorder or PTSD, where the trials to get it to the goal line in terms of a uh, NDA filing would be, you know, uh, a few hundred patients is an area that Bionomics can effectively fund and raise money to do. So that's part of our business strategy. The other thing that the Merck collaboration does is really validates our platform, I think, from an external perspective. Ah, exactly. Um, and you've got some interesting backers too um, in uh, the guise of uh, Peter Thiel, uh, who founded uh, PayPal. That's that sort of obscure small payments company, which, which no one's ever heard of. Um, and um, a German billionaire, um, I hope I've got the name right, Christian Angermeyer. Um, right. uh, and he's got an interest uh, in particular in psychedelic medication. Um, and I, if I'm not mistaken, uh, you're uh, straying into that area or, or, or dabbling in it because it's an area of great interest, um, quite controversial too. And um, uh, there's uh, there's no approved treatments or anything. But uh, uh, in a roundabout way, I'm just sort of asking what, what you sort of think of uh, uh, psychedelics. Yeah. So let me let me talk about the investors that you alluded to, and then sure, let me sure. talk about the 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 psychedelics. So. We're fortunate to have really some very strong institutional investors, and that was part of doing the IPO and listing on NASDAQ. So our major investor is a multi-billion dollar fund in the U.S. called the Biotechnology Value Fund, and they've been an investor with us since uh, uh, before 2015, and they own about 12%. Uh, Christian Angermeyer, through his family fund, Aperon, uh, owns about 12%. And along with him, he brought in Peter Thiel and Mike Novogratz of Galaxy Investment Partners. We have other institutional investors uh, based in the U.S., like Woodline, uh, Preside, Catalio. So we've got a really nice institutional investor base in the U.S., along with our retail shareholder base in Australia. And then let me uh, talk about the you know, Christian's interest in, in psychedelics, which are really making, I think, some meaningful inroads for the treatment of mental health disorders. And in particular, when you look at all of the compounds that have been out there for the treatment of post-traumatic stress disorder, the one that has shown some very good promise is a psychedelic called MDMA or ecstasy. Now, let me make one point. MDMA or ecstasy is not a monotherapy like BNC210 is, but it's an adjunct to psychotherapy. But it requires three intensive in-clinic, eight-hour in-clinic sessions that are separated out by four weeks uh, plus additional psychotherapy sessions. So while it's showing promise, you know, it is labor-intensive, uh, on the patient, on the caregiver, and let alone the payer. So what are we hoping to achieve? If MDMA gets approved by the U.S., and it may be looked at uh, maybe sometime in 2023, 
what we are looking at is testing a paradigm where we may be able to shorten those intensive in-clinic sessions. So imagine a paradigm where instead of three intensive eight-hour in-clinic sessions with MDMA, you put the patients on one session with MDMA and then give them BNC210 in the outpatient setting, which may reduce or eliminate sessions two and three, which has huge value for the patient who is resistant to coming in, value for the psychiatrist, and huge value for the payer who has to fund uh, the payment. So that's the kind of paradigm where we're thinking about combination treatments uh, with, with potentially one session with a psychedelic followed by an outpatient setting with, without drug. And this is in collaboration with someone else, isn't it? Yes. You know, uh, the one of the companies that is also funded uh, by uh, Aperon is Atai, uh, and we have a collaboration with Empath Bio, which is a subsidiary that has a proprietary MDMA derivative that we would look at exploring in the paradigm that I described for you. All right. Terrific. Well, look, there's uh, a lot going on. Um, it sounds like in the short term, one of the key things for investors to um, uh, to, to look out for are the other uh, trial results. Errol, uh, great to talk. I really appreciate your time and um, hopefully we can talk again in the near future. Tim, thank you so much. I've enjoyed this and I hope your audience does too. Thanks, Errol. Thanks, Errol.